Oh man, I just love it out here on this uh, fishing boat. Hey buddy boy, throw me that anchor so we can uh, put the boat right here. Uh, this is going to be a good spot for us to do some fishing. Yeehaw! Hey, speaking of anchors, by the way, if you guys want to make an amazing podcast, all you got to do is download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Yeehaw! Hey, buddy, give me a beer so I can drink this. With a, ho, 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 this is some good stuff here. Yeehaw! Hey folks, welcome back to Pitching Popcorn with Brent and Tori. We've got an amazing episode here for you today. We're going to talk about three top movies that Brent has for this year that were just underrated movies that didn't get all the hype they needed, and three top movies from Tori. Again, just three movies that didn't get all the hype they expected, but we still love these movies and we want you to see them. Here it comes right to you now from Pitching Popcorn. I want to thank everyone for listening to Pitching Popcorn. We've got a great episode for you today. Um, just want to welcome you back. Um, of course, I'm Brent, and this is Tori. Hi, guys. <laughs> and today we're talking about the most underrated movies for 2021. And so what we're going to do, we're each going to go through three of our top picks so that all of you and your loved ones can plan on watching some great films that just didn't happen to receive the hype that they so deserved. Does that sound right, Tori? That sounds right. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, if you don't mind, um, I, uh, I would love to go first on this one, if that's all right with you. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Well, so my first choice in my top three is a film called The Card Counter. Now, folks, I can honestly tell you here um, that this movie is definitely worth watching. And just to give you a little bit of insight here, it's not just about counting cards, my friends. This is a revenge thriller. It's a love story, and it's a movie about redemption. So it tells the story of an ex-military interrogator, and he's turned into a gambler, but he's haunted by some ghosts from his past. Uh, Now, the card counter follows this ex-convict who actually learns how to count cards and becomes a, a poker player, not, not a high-profile poker player, but uh, just kind of tries to stay under the radar. And he actually meets an ex-associate's son who is actually burning with a vengeance. Um, and he believes that he can save this young man from committing this horrible crime. And so in the film, our main character comes across a global security seminar and uh, he gets somewhat intrigued by the speaker. And as he's leaving the seminar, a young man contacts him and shares some interesting information that leads them down a mysterious road. And we soon learn that the young man wants to take revenge on the speaker of this seminar for something that happened in the past. Hmm. Now, there is a huge movie reference in this film to an old classic movie called Taxi Driver. Have you ever seen Taxi Driver, Tori? I love Taxi Driver. Do you really? Oh, yes. okay, cool. Yes. Well, if you recall, the, uh, the reference in that film is about someone trying to save another person from something that's currently going on in their life, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so the card counter is pretty unique in that just like you can't judge a book by its cover, in this case, you can't judge a movie by its title because there's so much more to this movie than card counting. 
Uh, just want to give you some fun facts real quick. Uh, Shia LaBeouf, is that how I pronounce his last name? Did I get it right? I say LaBeouf, but I, LaBeouf. Don't, really, okay. I don't really know. I don't know. Okay, if I think the... you're right. <laughs> I, I have such a hard time with, with these names, but Shia La, LaBeouf, right? So he was originally scheduled to work on the film, uh, but he had to drop off the, the project. And it just so happens that Nicolas Cage, who is actually a close friend of the director, Paul Schaefer, recommended uh, a guy named Ty Sheridan to be in the film. And uh, Ty and Nicholas previously worked together on a movie called Joe back in 2013. Oh, and um, with as many films in the past uh, two years that have dealt with uh, COVID, right? <laughs> Filming was actually stopped in this in this production uh, by the producers on March 16th, 2020, and it only had five days remaining, right? Mm. And so this was right after an actor who had flown in from Los Angeles for a few scenes had tested positive for COVID. Oh, okay? my goodness. And yeah. And so the director was furious about the whole deal. <laughs> and the producers were, you know, shutting the thing down. And in fact, the director gets on Facebook and he calls him a very bad name. I can't even repeat what he called him on Facebook. but it's Because he tested positive for COVID? No, because they shut the whole film down. Oh. I mean, they had five days left in the shoot and they shut the whole film down, right? Of course, yeah. who knew, right? Who knew back then what the heck was going on, right? Mm -hmm. So um, now the director did say that he would have shot through hell, fire and rain to finish filming this thing. Uh, but uh, he didn't get what he wanted and they had to postpone it. Now, the film was produced by Martin Scorsese, who collaborated in two of his most famous films with uh, this particular director, Paul Schrader. And uh, those two films were, of course, called Taxi Driver and Raging Bull, where Scorsese directed and Schrader wrote. Now, they also did The Last Temptation of Christ and Bringing Out the Dead together. Uh, that's where Nicolas Cage comes in. And I'll tell you, if you haven't seen Bringing Out the Dead, that is one freaky movie with Nicolas Cage. I remember um, and in college, I was a radio TV film major, and I remember doing an editing project on that particular movie. Now, it was it was just for school. It wasn't related to the movie or anything like that. Right. But. Um, oh, yeah. And speaking of films and their delays due to the coronavirus, um, guess which fr film franchise reboot would score millions of dollars right now, Tori? I don't know. The Mask. No way. Nah. <laughs> I'm just throwing a little joke in there. Um, also, um, <laughs> I just heard that George Clooney, Leonardo DiCaprio. and Matthew. I get it. You get it now? Okay, good. I thought I would catch you off guard with that one. I was too busy and... trying to think of who would play Jim Carrey. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, but I also just heard that George Clooney, Leonardo DiCaprio, and Matthew McConaughey are making a new film together. So George Clooney says he's going to direct. Leonardo DiCaprio says he's going to be the producer. And Matthew McConaughey says, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> <laughs> did you like that one i did that's a good one right and also some news from arnold schwarzenegger did you know he's actually retiring from doing films i thought he was already retired well you know he did retire for a while and then he was the governor and then he came back but he's actually <laughs> going to retire this time right okay for good and he already has a gig in mind um he wants to be an exterminator <laughs> <That's funny. laughs> 
<laughs> oh, by the way, um, what starts with P and ends with O-R-N and plays a major role in the film industry? I don't want to say this is popcorn. a family show. Popcorn. <laughs> Just like our, our podcast, Pitching Popcorn, right? And speaking of popcorn, Tori, what movie are you pitching to our listeners as your top three? Well, actually, can I ask you a follow-up question about um, Card Counter? Sure. What did you think of uh, Tiffany Haddish's role in it? That's a good question. Um, let me think here. Now, was she the one that was the kind of the broker between, I'm going to have to research this a bit. Okay. Yeah, yeah. She was the one between the, that kind of did the broker um, role between the, um, the folks that had the money to finance the, the gamblers uh, going on tour and things like that. Yeah. yeah, I actually, I mean, I thought she, she did a really good job. Um, I, uh, I don't know her from what, what, do you know what other films she's been in? She's in, in she, so, well, I listened, to, I haven't seen the card counter yet. I really want to. Uh-huh. Um, but I was listening to an interview with her recently where she was talking about her role in it. And she's like, you know, she does a lot of comedies. She was in girls trip. She was in a couple, I think she did a movie with Kevin Hart recently. Um, and so she does kind of like over the top comedy films. And she was talking about how this is like a departure for her because it's a little bit more serious. Um, and um, just how like she has this drive to just like keep doing new things and keep surprising people and pe- having people be like, you think I can't do it? Watch me do it. And she said this yeah. is one of those those roles for her. And um, so that's one that's one of the reasons I really want to see it. I mean, I love Oscar. I love Oscar Isaac, too. I feel like he just like was in Star Wars one day and then now is in every movie. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm not I'm not mad about it. Um, but I'm also I'm, I'm excited to see her do something new, too. Oh, yeah. Well, um, the, yeah, I think you would be happy to know that there's a little bit of a, of a romance going on with those two characters. Um, it's kind of uh, but she's very confident in her uh, in her role. So I think you would like that for sure. And uh, like I say, it's it's almost like if I was to let's see, um, you know, like the the confidence that uh, Queen Latifah brings to the table yeah. in film. Like, have you seen Set It Off? Yeah. Oh man! So um, when uh, the just that that uh, that's how much confidence uh, she actually had in this film. So she just looked like a very um, successful woman that was in charge. And uh, just had this walk about her that was just this real confident walk. And you could you could just believe that she was this uh, this important broker in uh, in the lives of these uh, folks that had all of this money that were financing the, the gamblers. So, yeah, she did a great job. Absolutely. Cool. I'm, ha- I'm happy to hear that. <laughs> um, all right. So I, I will share my uh, third most underrated movie of 2021. Uh, still can't believe we're almost done with 2021. Um, but so movie I chose was Eternals. Um, Eternals exists in the Marvel universe. Um, so it kind of makes reference to some events that you may have already seen, um, in other Marvel movies. Um, but it starts literally right at the very beginning, like the beginning of humanity, (laughs) uh, to the beginning of the earth. Um, humans are there, they're growing, they're thriving. Um, and then these creatures come called deviants. Uh, deviants are supernatural beings. They're very difficult to kill. They're nearly immortal. Um, and they were originally created to kind of kill off apex predators. 
um, and protect humans so that humans could continue to grow. Uh, but the deviants just evolved basically into killing machines that killed everything, including humans. Um, and then in the year 5000 BC, the Eternals are sent to Earth to kill off the deviants so that the human race can continue to advance. So the Eternals are this group of 10 immortal, uh, super powerful beings, and their leader is this uh, Eternal named Ajak. And so throughout human history, the Deviants are there um, attacking human empires and trying to take down the humans. And then we see the Eternals come in to save the day. And then eventually, in the year 1521, the Eternals kill off the last of the Deviants. Their job is done. Ajak, the leader, dismisses everyone from the group to go explore the world and find a new meaning for their life, um, which to me sounds like an existential nightmare, but that's another, another topic. Um, so fast forward to the present day, and two of our Eternals, uh, their name's Circe and Sprite, they're living in London, they have normal jobs, doing normal things, um, and then they're attacked by a deviant. Uh, and it's like, what? The deviants are supposed to be dead. They've been gone for 500 years. How can this be? Um, and another, another Eternal named Icarus, who also happens to be Circe's ex, shows up and the three of them end up chasing it away. Circe, Sprite, and Icarus then travel to South Dakota to reunite with Ajak, their leader. But it's discovered that she's been killed and it looks like a deviant did it. So everything is just in shambles out of the blue. Uh, they also learn that Ajak has appointed Circe to be her successor as leader uh, of the Eternals, which is a surprise because Icarus is actually the most powerful on the team. And in this new role as leader, Circe gets to learn a new truth. The Eternals are supposed to protect the humans, yes, but once the human population reaches a certain level, the Earth is going to be destroyed and the energy is going to be used to create a new celestial being. It's kind of like a god-like creature. So this is really heavy news. Um, with the deviants, so with the deviants back and Ajak dead, the whole gang gets back together. All the Eternals, and with this new information, they decide that they don't want to. They don't want to help this new celestial being be born. They want to save humanity, what they always intended to do. So they just devise a plan where they're going to unite their powers in this thing called a unimine and put the celestial being to sleep. So it'll it'll never wake up and destroy the world. But wait. Icarus, the most powerful of the Eternal, he is not, not on board with this plan to save the world. He wants to stay on mission. He wants to do his original job and, um, and help bring the celestial being to life. And if it destroys the world, he's like, that's the world's purpose. So, <laughs> so that's what we need to do. Um, and Sprite also says that she wants to follow Icarus. And then we learn that she's actually been in love with him for thousands of years. So the two of them work together to thwart the, th the team's plan. Epic battle ensues, of course. Sprite literally stabs Circe in the back, which is awful. <laughs> she, uh, she thankfully survives with a little help from her team. Um, and then there's this very emotional face-off between Circe and Icarus, where Icarus has overpowered everyone, and she's the only one left in his way. But he can't kill her because he loves her. So he and Sprite give up. They all join forces and turn that celestial to stone reluctantly saving the world. Icarus feels so guilty about abandoning his mission and forsaking his purpose that he flies into the sun. And Circe uses her remaining power um, to turn Sprite into a human, which is her greatest wish. The story ends with um, Arishem, who's Circe's boss, saying that he's going to spare humanity because of what happened, but only if the Eternals' um, memories reveal that humans are actually worth saving. And 
Well, right now it could go either way. (laughs) So the movie ends kind of on a cliffhanger and it's implied that there are many movies to come. And we all know Marvel. There are many, many more movies to come. Um, So Rotten Tomatoes actually ranked this movie as the worst Marvel movie ever made. And um, um, the haters really came out to hate on this one. I read a couple, uh, quite a few reviews and actually almost didn't see this movie um, because the reviews were so bad. And, you know, I, I like a Marvel movie. I think the good ones are good, but the bad ones are real bad. Um, no offense to Brie Larson personally, but Captain Marvel, it, Marvel is uh, garbage in my opinion. Um, but I did end up seeing the Eternals um, and I went in with pretty low expectations, which might, might have helped. But there's a lot to love here. Um, first, like we meet so many new characters, like we, like the Eternals is a team of 10 people. So they introduced 10 different backstories, um, which which I really like. It did definitely prove challenging just plot-wise to try and introduce all these characters and make you understand someone and their motives and their, you know, what makes them tick. Um, so it was a little bit of biting off more than they, than they could chew. But that being said, those the backstories are all, like, so beautiful. Um, so uh, one of the characters, his name's Fastos, and he's a, a genius inventor. And the common theme that comes up in his life is, you know, he has all this new technology that he wants to share with humans to help them grow and thrive. Um, but he doesn't know if humans can handle it. And there's this scene where he's like in history overlooking the rubble of Japan after the atom bomb goes off. And he's just like, you know, human humans can't handle this. They, you know, they're evil. Um, and, and so that, that, that tension is there. And I mean, we, I would watch a whole movie about that. Uh, but all those characters have beautiful backstories like that. Um, another thing going for this movie that I really liked was, so Circe, who becomes the leader, she's a very atypical type of leader. So everyone thought that Icarus should be the main leader um, because he's the most powerful. He's the most charismatic. He's the most traditional type of leader. Um, but she's more reluctant. She's not domineering. She's not the most powerful Honestly, at times in the movie, she needs to speak up and be more of a leader, but she doesn't. Um, But if anything, she's the most humble. And I think that her character really sets up in subsequent movies for us to kind of explore, like, what does it mean to be a different type of leader, to not be like that alpha type of leader? Um, So I'm I'm excited for that. Um, And then, oh, I wanted to talk about uh, Kumail Nanjiani. It was so... You know, he's a comedian. It was such a big deal that he was cast in this movie. He got really ripped. um, And there's a lot of press about that. And I think when I had heard, so I was excited to see him in the movie. And then when I heard, you know, that he was kind of doing something new and different, I expected his character to be new and different and maybe more reserved and like more of an action star. But his character is like freaking hilarious. He's just over the top. He's a Bollywood star. He's kind of whiny. Um, so he's, I mean, he's honestly very on brand for Kumail. He's just in a, in an action movie. Um, so I, I, I like that. He gave a lot of comic relief. Um, and I have to say, just the, the worst thing about this movie is that there's just too much going on. It's, I think it's probably pushing, pushing three hours and probably should have, if they wanted to do it right, it probably should have been four. I mean, I'm not recommending a four-hour wow. movie. Not recommending a four-hour movie, but there were just some things that just felt so rushed and so unearned. Um, you know, like 
you know, I mentioned seriously getting stabbed in the back and then being cool, <laughs> cool about it. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. uh, that seemed a little, a little forced, but, um, but I think this has, um, it was a fun watch and I think it's set up for, we're getting, we're getting some more Eternals movies, whether we like it or not. So I'm, I'm ex- I think there's some good things coming down the pike for us. Very cool. Very cool. Well, I understand a little bit about um, what the Eternals can do. <clears throat> um, I understand that they're, they're capable of super strength, teleportation, uh, telepathy, telekinesis, <clears throat> matter manipulation, and flight through levitation. Um, and I also understand that they have the ability to shoot cosmic rays out of their eyes and hands. Is that right? Well, I think it's usually that each eternal, not all those eternals can do all those things, but Uh one, each eternal has like one power. Okay. Gotcha. Now, um, is it, I know we did a, 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 we, uh, we did a review on a, on a movie, um, on the last episode, uh, Shang-Chi, um, are the eternals connected to Shang-Chi at all? Yeah, they're so there's no direct overlap, but they kind of exist in the same world. Okay, gotcha. And then is it possible to to kill an eternal? It is possible, but it is very, very difficult. Okay. All right. And then I understand that there I saw that there was some sort of secret in the movie. Is that right? You can't give it away. Uh, well, I gave. I did. I think I did give it away. Oh, you already gave it away. Okay. The, the secret about the Eternals' real purpose. Um. Let's see. Um. Let's see here. Uh. Okay. Yeah. I think you did talk about it. Um. It says here that the Eternals are a secret group of immortal beings, uh, created centuries ago by the Celestials, and the Celestials are ancient beings who experimented on Earth. And in doing so, I made the Eternals. And unfortunately, that also made some evil creatures known as the Deviants. Is that accurate? I think that's a little bit out of order. Is it? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What, can you better explain? Well, the Celestials are like, they're kind of like gods. They're the bigger overarching beings. The Celestials sent deviants originally to to um help help kill off the the predators so that humans could thrive but the deviants evolved and started killing the humans and so the eternals came in to help fight off the deviants okay all right cool well thanks for explaining that um i haven't seen it yet but i I look forward to and um the last thing I, i understood i think i remember you saying this um, in a previous episode as well, is that there is an Easter egg in this movie. Is that right? There is an Easter egg, and it's one of my favorite that I've ever seen. Oh, wow. That I'm, sounds really good. I'm not going to reveal it, but it is very, very, very good. I walked out of the theater with a big smile on my face. Wow. Nice. <laughs> nice. Well, we definitely, definitely have to uh, recommend seeing this one for sure. And I've got a get this on my to-do list all right well is it all right if i move on to um my second choice yeah take it away awesome so my second choice is called the house of gucci and what is the story behind the house of gucci well 
It tells the shocking true story of a glamorous socialite who was charged with arranging the murder of her husband in 1997. And it is based on a true story, but it's more than just about murder. Uh, Ridley Scott's second movie of the year after October's The Last Duel, House of Gucci, features a star-studded cast. And this movie is about wealth, power, and the fashion industry. And I would say it's also pretty much centered around romance as well. Now, um, here's how I would explain it. I'll Girl meets boy. Huh? Bad, this is my joke. A bad romance. <laughs> a bad romance. Right. Absolutely. Right. Well, so here's how I would explain it. Girl meets boy. Girl talks boy into trying the apple. Right. Like Adam and Eve. Right. Boy tries the apple. And then guess what? Boy finds another girl. Uh, <laughs> and this film has the definition of hell has no fury like a woman scorned, right? And Ridley Scott's attention to historical detail is clear in the film. Obviously, the fashion elements down to the specific events and how they happened. And Ridley Scott is also a name often associated with the sci-fi genre, thanks to classics like Alien and Blade Runner. Have you seen those? I have, yeah. Have you? Okay, cool. Mm -hmm. And he's also explored other genres as well, such as Thelma and Louise and Gladiator. Have you seen those as well? I have, yep. Very nice. Very nice. And some fun facts real quick, something you may not know. Angelina Jolie, Anne Hathaway, Penelope Cruz, Margot Robbie, and Natalie Portman were all considered for the role of Patrizia. Mm -hmm. All right. And Martin Scorsese was considered to direct... Believe it or not, Robert De Niro was originally announced as being in talks to play Rodolfo, but dropped out, and therefore Jeremy Irons was cast instead. Hmm. Now, if De Niro had accepted, it would have been his fifth movie with Al Pacino after The Godfather Part II in 1974, Heat in 1995, which is one of my favorites, Righteous Kill 2008, eh, I didn't think so much of that one. And The Irishman 2019, I know a lot of people like that one. I actually, man, it was difficult to see my my uh, my actors uh, grow so old. It's just tough. <laughs> it's tough for me to get over in that one. Yeah. Now, um, Christian Bale was uh, he was also considered for the role of Maurizio, and Chris Evans was considered as a backup just in case Adam Driver couldn't free up his schedule. But in the end, uh, the schedule cleared and Driver was able to take the role. Um, speaking of I, freeing up the schedule. Yeah, I, go ahead. I just want to say I love, I think both Gaga and Adam Driver are great at these roles. And I can see some of the people you mentioned, especially like Natalie Portman. I think maybe she would have she would have done a good job. But I I just love them both so much in the roles that they're in in these, this movie. Yeah. Oh, man, it really is. And I can't get over Adam Driver's smile. <laughs> you know, he's like he smiles so much in this movie and it's just got this unique, almost like this just huge, almost um, like the Grinch smile. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's how I would describe it. But he's just got that. Uh, he's just man. He's just really good. And um, he used to be he was in the military before he got into acting, wasn't he? Adam Driver. Uh, I think he was in the Marines. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> so I think. um that's kind of how he learned to um, to have all, you know, the uh, the work ethic and everything uh, to uh, to do what he does. And, um, 
you know, just a second ago, I was I was talking about how um, uh, Adam Driver was able to free up his schedule. Um, and I wanted to mention to you that um, speaking of freeing up schedules, did you hear that Liam Neeson, uh, he actually uh, he freed up his schedule to new, to do a new film? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's called Taken Out of Context. <laughs> <laughs> And and by the way, Tori, I wanted to ask you, I've been meaning to ask you for quite a while now. Um, what's your favorite indie film? My favorite indie film? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Personal Shopper is coming to mind. Personal Shopper? Well, yeah. mine is The Last Crusade. Okay. I've never heard of it. <laughs> you never heard of uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just full of bad jokes today. Um, but anyway, um, I also wanted to let you know that um, here recently, um, my wife and I went on our ninth anniversary date to see the new Batman film. Uh-huh. And our dates can be summarized as follows. Dinner, 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 Batman. <laughs> you, you want to see the look on Tori's face? It's hilarious. Um, anyway, so um, I do hear there's a new Spider-Man film out there. Have you seen the trailer on that one yet? I have not. Have you not? No. You haven't seen the trailer? I have. I thought it was in the. Uh, I thought it was in the Slack in the movies thing. I didn't watch it. <sighs> Man, all right. I'm so offended. All right. Well, is he your favorite favorite Superman? No, he's not my favorite Superman because he's Spider Man. How could he be Superman if he's Spider Man? Superhero. (laughs) Superhero. Who's my favorite superhero? Man, that was that's a tough one. Superhero. Hmm. You know what I would say? Aquaman is my favorite superhero. I remember watching Super Friends when I was growing up. Did you ever see that? Mm-mm. Do you remember the Wonder Twins? No. Nope. Oh, man. The Wonder Twins. Wonder, Wonder Twins or Wonder Powers activate. It was like they, they, uh, they had these special powers. And it had Superman and Batman and Robin and Aquaman and the Green Lantern. I mean, it was, it was awesome. Yeah. Uh, growing up in my, in my olden days here. Well, okay, great. Uh, sorry to give the bad dad jokes today, but um, <laughs> getting back to our uh, our uh, top three here, what would you say your number two choice is for our listeners? Oh, man, it's going to be hard to follow that up. Um, but number two for me is a little film called Barb and Star Go to Vista Del, Vista Del Mar. Um, so quick recap is that Barb and Star are two middle-aged women from Nebraska. They're best friends. Um, one's a widower, widower, widow, one's a divorcee, and they decide to take a little trip down to Vista Del Mar, Florida. It's the first time that either of them have left their little town in Nebraska, so this is a very big deal. And they've got a lot, lot planned. They're really excited, um, and one of the big things that they want to do is uh, take a ride on the banana boat in the ocean together. And as luck would have it, at the exact same time that they're planning this trip down to Florida, an evil villain is plotting to destroy the town of Vista Del Mar. And Barb and Star, while they're there, they strike up an unlikely friendship with the villain's right-hand man named Edgar. 
And Star even gets an unexpected little romance out of the deal. So will Barb and Star save the day, get their vacation, and get to ride the banana boat together? I'm not going to spoil it. You got to see for yourself. But it's a a very fun journey uh, to get there. Um, So I want to just set expectations for this film. This is a kind of a zany SNL-esque comedy film. But it's not like a classic timeless comedy like Mean Girls or Tommy Boy. It's kind of more on the on the level of like a superstar or a night at the Roxbury. Uh, But that being said, this so I saw this film in February. So I rented it on, I think, Amazon Prime or Hulu or something. Um, And in Michigan last February, we were on like ultra lockdown and it was awful, and I hadn't been, <laughs> hadn't seen, like, any, any humans uh, outside of my family in, like, three months, and hadn't, we, like, we couldn't go to restaurants, we couldn't do anything, sunset at, like, 4 p.m., it's gray, depressing, and then I watched this movie, and, like, I hadn't laughed so hard in, like, several weeks, so um, this movie was there for me in like the, the darkness of the pandemic when I really just really needed a laugh. And so that's one of the reasons I love it so much. Um, this movie is written by and stars Kristen Wiig and Annie Mamulo, their best friends and their writing partners. They actually wrote uh, the script for Bridesmaids together and got nominated for an Oscar for it. Um, and the, the, the backstory for this movie that like, I love so much. I was listening to an interview with them and they said that when they were writing Bridesmaids, they just kept writing. um, So if you know, have you, have you seen Bridesmaids, Grant? Yes, I have. Okay. So my, my Rudolph's character, she's getting married and um, in the, in, in like their drafts of the script, they would write pages for Maya Rudolph's character to be on the phone with her mom, like somewhere in Wisconsin. And, um, and they would just write these pages of like her mom just being crazy and like, you know, being silly and just saying those like the most outlandish, like middle-aged Midwestern mom things. And they would just like continue to write pages and crack each other up and then submit them to the bridesmaids people. And they'd be like, why are you sending this to us? This has absolutely no value to the plot. <laughs> like, we, <laughs> we don't want this. We can't use this. But they mm-hmm. just like kept cracking each other up. Um, so they like saved a bunch of their ideas and uh, eventually turned them into these characters of, of Barb and Star, just, you know, these two kind of middle-aged, um, middle-aged uh, Midwestern ladies that are kind of yokels. Um, so yeah, this movie, I mean, it, it's just them kind of like being off the leash, um, doing whatever they want. It's, it's insane. It's zany. It's silly. There's like a full-on music video in the middle of it featuring uh, Jamie Dornan, who, who plays Edgar, the bad guy. Um, he, he's singing about his struggle for love and the tension of, you know, wanting to do right and wanting to do wrong. Um, but yeah, it's just wild. And yeah, I love all the kind of jokes about the Midwest. Their, their accents are really funny. Um, and just, you know, kind of the way they're, they interact with each other and, and love their little, little small town is so great. Um, it is a little bit of a bait and switch. I feel like looking back at the trailers and stuff, it's just, they just kind of sell the story of these two ladies going on vacation, but there's actually a pretty major subplot of this villain trying to destroy <laughs> the town and them getting in the way of it. Uh, but it's, so it's, it's kind of like not, not what you bargain for. Um, but if you just like settle in it, you'll enjoy it. 
Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, I found, <clears throat> I haven't seen it yet. I did find some interesting facts about it. Um, you talked about Kristen Wiig and um, Anna Mamulo. Is that how you pronounce it? Mamulo? Um, I don't know. I think if you, we just say things confidently, we can get away with okay, whatever hey. we want. All right. Confidence. Bring forth the confidence. <laughs> I will do it. And so um, I saw that they've actually been uh, writing comedies since their days back um, in the Groundlings, uh, the legendary uh, L.A. improv group. And um, I also found that the Tommy, Tommy Bahama appearance was originally meant to include Panama Jack, and they really wanted Barack Obama to play him. <laughs> I see you're smiling, I not, folks. I think I she liked that, that part. <laughs> And then also, uh, interestingly enough, no scenes were actually filmed in Vista Del Mar. Uh, the filming locations were changed in response, and the movie was shot in different locations in Mexico uh, for the Vista Del Mar scenes and in Albuquerque, New Mexico, for the Nebraska scenes where Barb and Star live. Hmm. And you were talking about um, Edgar's Prayer, I think, the musical, right? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> this was actually inspired by Kevin Bacon's emotional warehouse dance scene in Footloose. And this is the old Footloose. You remember the old Footloose? Yeah. The first one. Mm -hmm. And so this musical segment lets the audience know who Edgar is as a person. And all he wants is to be loved by the object of his affection, which is star. Right. Mm. And um, also some interesting uh, facts here. In Barb and Star, there are quite a few scenes set in pools and in the ocean, and this proved to be a bit of an issue for Kristen Wiig, as she suffers from, I'm going to have confidence here now, Tori, <laughs> thalassophobia. I hope I pronounced that right, but it's a fear of open water and water predators. So this kind of made the water scenes uh, kind of troublesome for her. Um, and uh, now the decision to use Barbara Streisand and Barry Gibb's 1980 classic song Guilty was intended to be part of the opening scene from day one of the film's conception. Now, you know, the child actor that plays Yo-Yo, right? Mm -hmm. So he had to lip sync that ballad as part of the audition. And an, uh, another interesting fact about him is that before he shot the opening scene, guess what? He had never ridden a bike before. Oh, man, he does it like a pro. <laughs> so, yeah. So the people at the studio had to teach him how to ride a bike before shooting the screen, <coughs> shooting the scene. <laughs> they were like, probably like, it, it'll be easier for us to teach this kid how to ride a bike than to, for us to teach any other kid how to lip sync this kid. Exactly. Yeah. And so, of course, the resulting scene is a hilarious opener similar to Zoolander. Did you see that one? Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, this is another quirky comedy that uh, fans of Barb and Star should see um, that sets the silly tone for the rest of the film and lets the audience know what to expect from the beginning. Now, the clothes of Barb and Star had a number of influences. The primary inspiration for the character's wardrobe was Kristen Wiig's mother, who, who loves uh, uh, pastels and, um, and the skirts would be uh, reflected in the uh, women's beach attire. Um, let's see. And also, uh, the similar, uh, yet not identical personalities of the two characters were factored into the silhouettes and color palettes of the costume, uh, of the costumes. And it was deemed that the costumes should be similar in style, but differ slightly in, in areas of color. Mm. So just some fun facts about that. So I'm definitely going to have to check that out. I hope everybody else does too. 
Um, sounds like if you if you love comedy, if you love Saturday Night Live, um, if you need to get out of the COVID downward vibe, this is going to be a good a good one to watch. Right? I have newfound respect too for now for Kristen Wiig facing her fears. Yes, absolutely. I would have had no idea. There is a know? lot of lot of water in the film. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. Well, we we sure are moving through this pretty fast here. Um, okay, so the next one is going to be, um, we're already to my number one choice here. Now, this one is called The Last Duel. And The Last Duel is a cinematic and thought-provoking drama set in the midst of the Hundred Years' War. It explores the power of men, the frailty of justice, and the strength and courage of one woman willing to stand alone in the service of truth. Now, this film is actually based on actual events. It tells the story of two men who were once good friends, but something very coveted gets in the way and anger and revenge take over. This film is about rivalry, bravery, skill, intelligence, admiration, assault, denial, the refusal to stay silent, and most importantly, stepping forward for what you believe is right, even though it may have serious consequences. And in the film, we see different versions of the events from each main character. This is the real beauty of the film, uh, to, to see it in that, in that aspect. I haven't seen something like this before. And man, they really saved the best for last. Um, all I can say about this is, uh, have you ever been, I'm sure you've eaten at Chili's, right? Oh, yeah. Have you ever had that molting hot chocolate lava cake with an ice cold glass of milk from the freezer? At I mean, Chili's? No, yes. I don't think I have. No. Okay, but you know the lava cake I'm talking about, right? Yes. Okay. Well, next time you get it, you need to ask for an ice cold glass of milk from the freezer because they have those beer mugs. But mm -hmm. if you've got that ice cold glass of milk from the freezer, it goes amazingly well with that lava cake, right? Mm -hmm. And that's how I can describe this last uh, part of the film here is that it is a true masterpiece, just like that dessert with that ice cold milk from the freezer. And now uh, some of you may be wondering, well, what is the meaning of the last duel? Well, it was believed at the time that in any trial to determine guilt, God would protect the innocent from harm. And therefore, whoever won the duel would have been proven innocent. This film is a, really it is is it's a true masterpiece. Um, and some fun facts real quick. This is actually really funny. I don't know if you knew this. I certainly didn't until I researched it. But did you know that Matt Damon has a hard time growing facial hair? It makes me happy to hear that. I mean, it's sad that, I mean, Matt Damon has a, has trouble. I mean, you know, trouble growing facial hair so much so that the makeup department, they had to try out 20 different beards to apply to his face. Right. And guess what happened? He got, he got a skin rash underneath the stuck on beard. And it was so irritating that he had to be treated with ice packs after every scene while shooting the movie. Wow. Dedication, right? That is, that is. And, and speaking of ice packs, Tori, uh, which movie selection was <laughs> as cold as ice in the theaters, but happened to make it to your top choice for the number one underrated film of the year? <laughs> Uh, so glad you asked. Um, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna 
I'm going to pull back on all of my smack talk about Matt Damon and Ben Affleck because I don't want to, I don't want the fans to think less of me, but um, I'm going to share, share my number one, um, which my m- number one movie for most underrated film of 2021 is being the Ricardos. So being the Ricardos is a biopic of Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz taking over taking place over the course of one week in September 1952 while they're shooting an episode of I Love Lucy. During that week, three scandals emerge. One, Lucy is investigated for being a communist. Two, Desi has a story written about him cheating on Lucy in the newspaper. And three, Lucy and Desi tell the writers of the show that she is pregnant. What a freaking week. These three conflicts are all sorted out and resolved to some extent over the course of that week. And by telling this story um, in this way, we get a zoomed in view of Lucille Ball, Desi Arnaz, and the actors and writers on I Love Lucy. So Brent, um, I, I don't know if you know this about me, but I love a biopic. It's one of my favorite types of movies. Um, so I also love Lucille Ball. So this is the Venn diagram of this is uh, really doing it for me. Um, and, but one thing that's cool is I feel like Hollywood is getting really creative lately with how they do biopics. Um, so instead of just doing like birth, life story, death, and then like tie it up with a bow, um, there's, they're just getting a lot more creative, like, uh, like this, where there's just kind of like a short window of time that we get to view, um, which also happens in the movie Jackie. It happens in the movie Spencer. Um, or Rocket Man that came out a couple years ago. That's a biopic, but it's like, it's weird. It's a musical and like some of the stuff you're like, is this true? I don't know. Um, but it's just like a much more creative retelling. Um, or even like I was thinking about um, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood about Mr. Rogers. Like that's a biopic that came out recently, um, but it's told from the perspective of an investigative journalist. Um, so there's like a totally different way of narrating that story um so i like all these different different ways of kind of like looking at a real person's life um but yeah that being said i do really love i love lucy so um had very high expectations and very high hopes for this movie um whereas like i said when i went in to see eternals i was like this movie's gonna suck so whatever (laughs) whatever (laughs) happens i probably won't be disappointed but then watching the ricardos i was like this movie better be good or i'm gonna be upset um so uh but it lived up to it um and one of the best one of the best features of this movie um certainly was um the casting it's just like i think it's outstanding just never in a million years would i have considered nicole kidman to be a good fit to play lucille ball um but she nails it um just from her voice to her body language to her like her confidence and like even her like specific way that she is confident Um, just very amazing to see and um, but she doesn't do it in a way that's like caricatured or cartoonish um, but I feel like she does it in a way that really embodies the way that we kind of know that we like as an audience know or think about Lucille Ball and who she was Um, and then Javier Bardem plays Desi Arnaz which I was a little apprehensive about because he looks even less like the real person (laughs) than than Kidman looks like Lucy Um, Mm -hmm. but I feel like he he captures that essence very well he's just he's like charming he's silly he's strong um, and he kind of carries this like sadness and trauma of being abruptly uprooted from his home in Cuba Um, and and they do it in this movie in a way that I I haven't seen before 
Um, and then there's um, an actor named Nina Arianda that plays Vivian Vance, a.k.a. Ethel. And then J.K. Simmons, um, very lovable guy, plays William Frawley, a.k.a. Fred Mertz. And both of these guys do an amazing job of bringing these characters to life because they embody this tension of just feeling overlooked, old, ugly, playing second fiddle, um, all that in one hand. And then the other hand, their love of the show and then just their admiration um, and friendship and affection for, for Lucy and Desi. And both of those guys, I think, uh, balance that so well. And then, so new to me, like, I, I mean, everybody knows those four, right? Uh, but then the new characters that are kind of introduced uh, to the story are the writers. So Jess Oppenheimer and Madeline Pugh and, and Bob Carroll, they were all real writers on I Love Lucy. And then they get introduced in this movie as characters, played by Tony Hale, Alia Shawcat, both those guys from Arrested Development. So kind of fun to see them together. And then Jake, Lace, Jake Lacey. Um, I'll play the writers, and it's cool that the writers have st such strong role in the such a strong role in the movie. They're actually literally narrating the movie for us, so it's it's kind of cool because they like as writers on the show they wrote the show, and then as narrators in the movie they're kind of like letting the movie unfold for us, and it's almost like they're like writing the movie for us. Um, and so that's that's kind of a cool uh, parallel there, um, but. But yeah, so they've, they've crafted this world. They're sharing it with us predominantly through their eyes. Um, and then this world that is created in the movie, it's like there's this divide between on one end, there's real life. And then on the other end is the show. But most of what's happening is like in this space in between because everything that happens in real life affects the show and everything that happens on the show is connected to something in real life. And all these people are just kind of like, trying to navigate in the in-between and um so like just from a human perspective and a storytelling perspective that's cool to see how they how they play the off um like those two worlds kind of influencing each other uh, and we can just like very concretely we can see that like emotionally like when vivian vance like she wants to be seen as beautiful uh, but she can't present that way on the show and it causes tension um and then we see it play out practically like how lucille ball wants to be taken seriously as a businesswoman but she's always having to present herself as like a childish girl who needs to get an allowance from her husband on the show. And so I think just exploring this gap um, is done really well in the movie. And it's, it's uh, one of the things it does best. And then, Very cool. yeah. yeah. Well, you know, <clears throat> I, um, I, this is one that I haven't seen. I'm looking forward to seeing it um, in, <clears throat> in researching this film um, I saw where that the role of Lucille Ball was originally offered to Kate Blanchett. Did you know that? I I read that too. Mm -hmm. um, both Australian. Uh -huh. um, I I mean I guess I can kind of see it. I have I'm having trouble imagining what that would look like, but I get, I also had trouble imagining Nicole Kidman doing it. So mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, what what could have been? You know. Yeah. And, you know, I think their connection uh, goes back to a movie called Eyes Wide Shut, uh, where I think um, Nicole said that Kate did some voiceover work for that film. And so, um, of course, uh, Kate Blanchett dropped out and was replaced by Nicole Kidman. And Lucille Ball, of course, uh, most familiar to the world as the star of I Love Lucy, um, the show she produced and starred in along with her husband. Uh, Desi Arnaz, 
The success of the sitcom, which ran for six years, allowed for her and her husband to purchase their own studio, uh, Desilu Productions. And when Arnez and Ball divorced in 1960, she actually took over the studio and she took it over herself, which made her one of the most powerful women in Hollywood. And four years later, someone came to her with an idea for a pilot that would grow into Star Trek. And so uh, Lucille Ball bought the series thinking that it was about a group of traveling USO performers during World War II. Um, and now, even though she may have initially misunderstood the Star Trek concept, she supported this, what they called a space Western, right? And um, so even though a lot of the board members were resistant to the idea, um, her business abilities, like you're talking about, um, she, this actually made her the most powerful woman in television at a time when women in the industry were relatively few, right? And um, <clears throat> now it's interesting to know that the first pilot of Star Trek, um, it actually bombed, right? <laughs> and Lucille Ball agreed to help finance the second pilot, which is just so much, it, it's unheard of, right? <laughs> and so the, the second episode tested much better and it led to the original series that fans grew to love. And the series was produced by Desilu Productions from 1966 until 1967. And that's when uh, Lucille Ball actually sold the production company to Paramount Pictures. And the series, continu uh, it continued under new management. Um, and all told, Star Trek, the original series, produced 79 episodes before it went off the air. And it was the first series that actually had, um, it went into uh, syndicate where you have uh, reruns and things like that. And so they, they realized that they could make a lot of money with the reruns. So I thought that was a really interesting story, you know? That is very cool. Very hope, cool. Hope Star mm -hmm. Trek made her a boatload of money. Yes, it did. <laughs> is, yeah, they did. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm a fan, so I'm, I'm biased. But, um, but I, I just felt like the movie did such a good job of, like, kind of showing her, I mean, just a genius and, and really paying, paying her homage um, for, for how creatively she thought and her leadership skills. And um, I'm, I'm, not sh I'm not sure if I want to spoil this or not, but... Um, it talk there is a thread in the movie um that talks about her her greatest ambition um kind of being to to have a home and um and it it comes up a couple times is like you know she wants the career she wants to be famous she wants all this stuff but she really wants a home and um and even though it's a comedy and there's lots of jokes that kind of have, like it it kind of ends with like a note a tragic note because um, they're shooting the scene and then, and then Desi walks in the door, um, you know, as Ricky and he says his, you know, he says his famous line, you know, do you know the line? Uh, oh, let me see. I'm getting confused <laughs> with something else. Go ahead. He says, he says, Lucy, I'm home. Right. And, or I can't say Lucy, I'm home. And, um, and then she kind of just stops, like she hears him and she stops and she kind of loses herself for a second and she forgets her line. And, um, and cause the, all the, all those three problems from the beginning are resolved. The communism thing is resolved. The pregnancy thing is resolved. Um, but the story of him having an affair is not resolved. 
and um and she and so it's like you know she's she's lose we know from real life that she's about to lose her home and um man it's just uh, anytime there anytime there's like comedy and tragedy together it's just so heartbreaking (laughs) and it just get like it just it just gets to you um so and I don't and I don't know the way the way like the, the content is good but then the way they roll it out is just I think so well done so I saw this movie in theaters but it's coming out on Amazon Prime on the 21st so everyone everyone watch it yes absolutely right in time for christmas and you know that that makes me think about i can't not think about um kind of just to give our listeners some insight about how pitching popcorn got started um we uh where we work um we we have a, a manager and we have a team and um i remember you know we're doing all of these zoom meetings and so so one day um, I, uh, I meet the rest of the team. I'm, cor- I'm of course, the, the new guy uh, at, at, at our uh, place of business. And, and I see that um, uh, Tori has a picture of one of her favorite movies as her background. And, and I recognize the, the movie. I knew the name of the movie, but I hadn't seen it yet. And so, um, so we just kind of, uh, I think I asked about it one time. And uh, she kind of mentioned that that was her favorite movie. I just happened to watch that movie last night. Uh, so she's uh, uh, she's really got a, a, a great favorite there. I don't know if it's her absolute favorite, but I think we'll find out in future in future episodes. I think it is her absolute favorite. Otherwise, why would she have had it there? Um, <laughs> But um, I think some of the, the plans that we have in the future are to, I know we've got some, you know, some Christmas breaks here coming up for everybody. So uh, we're going to be back in January uh, and uh, that's when our next episode is going to be. And we're still trying to figure out what, uh, what our topic is for the next episode. But <clears throat> I think at one point you mentioned, Tori, that um, it would be a good idea if you reviewed like maybe three of my top movies. And if I reviewed three of your top movies, are you thinking that would be good for January's episode? Yeah, I was, uh, I think that one is good. I think we also talked about reviewing some of the, there's so many movies coming out on Netflix this month that that's right. We're talking about that's doing right. a Netflix December rewind rewind. You're right. So You're right. Those two episodes will probably be coming at you in january (laughs) right i hope you all are on the edge of your seat wondering what my favorite movie is yeah it is a biopic by the way oh it is a biopic okay (laughs) all right is it going to be three biopics (sighs) probably not dumb and dumber is pretty high up there for me Uh, is it really (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) man that's one i can watch over and over and over um what did you think of the second one um, I didn't, I didn't watch it. I don't, didn't, I don't want yeah, to ruin yeah. it. No, they can't. Um, mm-hmm. You know what, Brent? I'm, you know, part of the reason we're doing this episode on a Wednesday instead of a Thursday, like we have been is I'm pulling a, I'm pulling a barb and star. I'm going to Florida tomorrow. Are you really? I am. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a Midwestern lady going down to Florida. Okay. Gonna be great. Is it, um, is it about, are you, are you living the dream of that, uh, 
what was it that love hard movie did you find somebody uh <laughs> on uh on uh eHarmony or something that you're gonna go ring the doorbell for and see if it's the real deal unfortunately not um but i am i'm going to meet my my first niece my brother had a my brother's wife had a baby this summer and i'm going to meet oh, her oh wow so, yeah i'm very so, cool well congratulations almost, almost, as good, almost as good as going to pull a love hard <laughs> <laughs> right well good that's so awesome how long are you going to be in florida i'll be there for about a week oh wow yeah. man that's awesome yeah well man are that you, sounds like a lot of fun you're doing some traveling over the holidays as well aren't you yep yep um still got about a week uh, and then we're gonna go to uh wisconsin and we're gonna be there um, like the 22nd through the first time frame, you know, it's been about two years since we've been there. Uh, but it's fun to take the kids. Uh, they, uh, they don't get much snow here unless you have like a hundred year snow that we had in February with 21 inches. Um, but right here on the border of Arkansas and Texas, who would have thought we would have had that much snow back in February, but we did. February but, of 2021? Yes. Holy smokes. Yeah. 21 weird, inches of snow, what a man. Weird it was freaking nuts. Year. Yeah, it was it was <laughs> nuts. Um, I've never seen anything like that. And uh <clears throat> but what's nice about going to Wisconsin is that we have not only family there, but we also the kids get to build a snowman and go sledding and build an igloo and uh just uh go ice skating. And so it really is um uh, an awesome adventure and I don't think the cell phones work very well there <laughs> so you're really if you want to get off the grid that's a good place to go I remember one year we we were there and uh, it was negative 41 degrees wind chill outside and I did not step foot out of the house nope, uh, during that time but uh, yeah lots of lots of fun it's a long drive though it's like 17 hours I think St. Louis is the halfway point so holy smokes and I was I was actually contemplating uh, uh, where we work. They asked, uh, they sent a survey out to see if anybody wanted to work on the 23rd. And they really put some flavor to it uh, on the uh, double time and the extra bonus. And I was actually, I was actually trying to figure out a way to, uh, <laughs> to make that happen. But uh, I'm afraid I just won't have the, uh, the internet capabilities to, to do it. Are you yeah, going to, well, you're going to be gone too, right? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not doing it. Brent, go build that snowman. Don't let them, Good. don't let do them. Do you want to build a snowman? <laughs> I need to get my, we need to do like a, a karaoke episode sometime and we have to pitch, pitch some other things besides movies. I would like that. <laughs> Maybe well, get some TV shows in there as well. Well, you know what? I hope, do you feel like we put, put some caramel on it today? I do. I do. We <laughs> did. We put some caramel on it and, and we actually shortened our episode. So hopefully we, we, uh, hopefully we have a nice surprise for our fans, you know, um, don't have to listen for a whole hour and a half. They can just put an, put an hour into it. Right. <laughs> yeah. That was, that was always the goal. 60 minutes. So good job. Right. Yeah. All we right. did good. All, All right. right. Well, well, Brent it was a pleasure. I can't wait yes. to watch some of these movies. Uh, me too. Me too. All right. Well, have a safe trip. Have fun right. in Florida. Thanks, Brent. Bye, Merry everybody. Merry Christmas. All right. Thanks for listening to Pitchin' Popcorn with Brent and Tori. We'll see you next time.